You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. As we look at 2 Peter this morning, and uh, my family and I watched a, a movie this week that was a really good movie. Not, this was not one of those fun movies. This is not if you just want to don't think. And uh, sometimes I like to be brain dead and be entertained, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, sometimes like that. This was a you know, depending on your style of movies, you might think this one's a little tedious, but it was, uh, it was based on real, real facts, real story, real history, and I, from what I'm told, it's fairly accurate, but it's about a chemical company that uh, manufactured uh, products, Teflon, you remember the stuff, the no-stick pans and all of that, and um, manufactured that in the, the cover-up, in essence, that uh, they knew that it was uh, poisonous, so dangerous, and cancer-causing, and all the horrible things to, to people. And many people died and got cancer. There were deformities and their employees. And it, it kind of walks through that story of how that unfolded. And it's really a recent, you know, fairly recent unfolding. It was only a couple of years ago that, that some of those cases were coming to terms. And the company ended up paying out over half a billion dollar settlement in this whole community, I believe in Virginia, just all of the people that had poisoned the waters and, and all of that. And, and it's really... Uh, walks through the deception and the difficulty of that. And I have to admit, it just, it's very, very angering and to watch that. And it really is, the Bible talked about, you know, protecting the poor and, and the, making money off the backs of the poor. That's what the Bible's talking about, or one of the things that it's talking about. You know, deception is insidious. None of us like to be lied to. None of us like to be fooled. Uh, we all feel like if we get one pulled over on us that we have lost something along the way. This morning we're going to talk about spiritual deception. And it's every bit as dangerous to your soul, every bit as deadly to your eternity, every bit of, of destructive to, to your life. And Peter spends the next entire chapter talking to us as, as followers of Jesus Christ that we should be careful uh, extremely cautious about deceptions in our world. And there's too much in here to share a whole chapter in one week. So we're going to take two or three weeks to look at it. But read with me, if you would, the first nine verses and just kind of walk through this with me. Uh, the Bible says this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Subtle shift there. If prophets were the standard for today, Peter would have said false prophets will arise among you, but he didn't. Prophets were Old Testament. He said the new guys in town are teachers, the pastor teachers. So be careful. They're going to be dangerous teachers that will absolutely come among you. And, and continue on, he says this, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They'll do it secretly, surreptitiously, behind the scenes, not letting other people really know the, what they're, the underlying roots of what they're talking about, even to the point of denying the master who bought them. And here's the result of it, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many, not a few, and he's talking about church-going followers of Jesus here. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about many you know, he's telling the church, look around the room. There's going to be a lot of you, he says, who are going to fall. 
will follow their sensuality. Big word here, we'll unpack it, way more than just sensual. But they'll follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. The name of Jesus will be mocked. The movement of of the mission of the church will be ridiculed. It will bring shame to the name of our Lord because of their, their lifestyle. And in their greed, that's the real motivation, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. To prove that point, he gives us three examples. He says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Third example, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot out out of Sodom and Gomorrah, who is greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Much like the fireworks over the last week. Saw and hearing the fireworks. He just, day after day, if he was tormented in his soul as a righteous, godly man, then that, that righteous man, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until that day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Wow, there's a lot of rainbows and unicorns in that passage. You know, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Exciting stuff. Peter Peter really grabs our attention. Keep in mind, these letters were meant to be read all at once. So Peter's thinking, he's talked to us about nice things and grace and peace and kind of loved on us a bit, if you will, and encouraged us and built us up in the faith, and now he gives us the big warning. But he spends as much time at the big warning as he did all the other stuff combined, right? So we got to take the warning, you know, carefully. So keep that in mind, all right? We're going to unpack this because it's important. But I want us, as we think about the dangerous deceptions that Peter warns us about, in fact, the Bible just over and over and over again says, be careful, be careful, be careful. The Bible teaches us that we should kind of act like we have spiritual, moral, and belief allergies. If you ever, you know, none of my family has food allergies, but if you know a family, and some of you guys do, if you have a food allergy, of a child with a food allergy, you're always... Looking at the back of the package, what has this got in it? Like you're looking for the fine print, right? You're looking it up. Is that on the list? Can I eat this? Can I not? And you're, you're looking at, you know, things that just might be, I mean, a little speck in there because it'll mess up your whole system, right? We, what Peter is telling us is we need to have that mindset when it comes to the things that we hear and see and we take in. Things that we, other people are saying are truth, that this is, needs to be done, and other movements and belief systems and teachings that we need to be reading the back of the label. We need to move past the packaging 
oh, that looks like a really cool box of cereal. You know, cereal's got to be good for you if it comes in chartreuse yellow and bright pink and blue. Like, that's absolutely healthy, right? We got to get past all of the flash and all of the, the wonderful packaging that we see the fog machines and smoke and mirrors, you know, if it's in a church or whatever, or, you know, of what people are putting out there. And we need to read the fine print. Peter is telling us to have a little bit of a healthy skepticism, not cynical, not fearful, not judgmental, but we need to be careful. Because the things that we take in, the things that other people say, the other things that people do, the popular movements that are around us, will absolutely deceive us, and it's our tendency as human beings to be gullible. It's to be gullible. Now, we all think that we're individually smarter than that. Not me. I'm not going to fall for that. Not, oh, not me. You know, I, I would, would, that would never be me. And Peter's like, yeah, no, yeah, you, yeah, no, you. <laughs> He's talking to you and me. So he says, be careful that we don't fall into these Deception. So three things I want to share with you that, that don't be fooled, avoid, uh, avoid their disaster, and then have hope in God. So don't be fooled. Look what Peter says. He says, look, he says this is reality. Just like all the Old Testament, there were these false prophets that came in and they arose from among the people. They didn't come from somewhere else. They were people who were credentialed, who were accepted, who were known by name, who were part of the church that, that came in. And in many cases, I believe, were people of integrity. They were misinformed. They were misled. They were sharing things that they believed in, but they were sharing things that, in their sincerity that they were sincerely wrong about. And Peter said, be careful that you need to discern the things that they're teaching. You know, we, sh we today, folks, should realize that just whether it's church or other outside movements, everything around us, that values and beliefs should be able to be tested. It's appropriate. It is still appropriate in the world around us. And Peter says, be careful that you don't allow these, these secret teachings that come in. Well, how are we going to identify them? Just as a person is taught how to identify a counterfeit bill, does it have that, you know, the watermark and all of the fancy stuff that goes into modern currency? There's three things that Peter tells us about identifying these false teachers. He says, first, he says, they will bring in destructive heresies. They will bring in teachings that deviate from the truth of the Bible. They will be teachings that deviate from the, the things that we've known and that we've heard and we've read that the Bible teaches and clearly identifies. They will deviate from those, those kinds of things. You see, the first thing you should do when you consider a new church is not whether or not their worship service time is convenient for me. Yeah, I think I can make my early morning golf game. You know, I can sneak that in before. Or, yeah, we can get out early enough to go catch that hike or go to that game or hit the, the sports field or whatever. The first thing you ought to do is, what do these people believe? and go right to their doctrinal statement and look at those things and compare that with what you've known the Bible to teach. Those things matter. Now, after that, there's some other things that matter as well. Are they going to connect and serve? Do they care about the world? Are they living out their faith? Are they just, you know, falling into tradition? Do they really live out those things? There are lots of other things. But you and I are to compare the beliefs to what we know of Scripture. So look at that at large. 
But then Peter goes a little bit further, that they're even going to fall into heresies to the point that they deny their master, deny the Lord Jesus who bought them. And when they get to that point, they're bringing swift destruction upon their soul. So if you really want to examine and evaluate a person where they're coming from, if you want to evaluate a movement with what's underneath it, if you want to evaluate a church, if you want to evaluate a a, a teaching, a, a presentation, you need to look at what they really say about Jesus Christ. I must confess to you that today, more than ever, it's easier for these things to happen in a church or happen in a person's life. You can go home today and you can order and, uh, all kinds of books and materials online. You can watch all kinds of teachings and messages. And some of them are good. Some of them are absolutely trash. And some of them are somewhat okay, but there's enough in there that makes them really not so good. And you've got to be very discerning as you look at those things. So as a pastor, I'm just like, oh my goodness. You know, just because you mention the name Jesus and talk about faith doesn't make it good. It's not automatically okay. Well, they, taught, they, they said the word Bible. It's got to be good, right? No, not necessarily. I've shared this illustration before, but it's really, a, it's, it's so clear to me and just such a real example for me. I was flying back from Africa, actually, on a mission trip. I got on, a, on the plane, and it was one of these, these, these bigger planes. I don't know what it was, a 747 or whatever. But, you know, when there's two aisles down the row, right? You know, there's like... Five seats in the middle and three on the wings. And there's just a lot of people. And I ended up, of course, my spot was like right in the middle. Excuse me, please. Excuse me. Pardon me. Sorry. Okay. You know, I was like, I was that guy in the middle. And then I looked and all these teenagers were getting on the plane. And they were, I could see them. They would all look. And they would like look at me hoping that they weren't stuck next to, to me. And I was like in my late 30s. I'm like, I didn't think I'm that old. Like seriously, I'm that old already? And, and every one of them were looking at me, and then they would look at their seat, and they'd move on, kind of like, phew. And then finally, their leader sat down right next to me. And uh, it was a fairly young guy, I would say, and he had a book. It was kind of a leather-bound book. And, uh, and I noticed, like, five different colored ribbons out of it. And immediately, I'm like, that's a religious book. I don't know what faith or spiritual practice, but I'm going to find out, because I got four hours flight or whatever across the Atlantic Ocean, you know? And uh, we started talking, and I kind of played a little cool. So what do you do for, you know, whatever? And I came to find out he was a minister. I won't tell you which faith group, because if I mention the name, they're very common here, and you would all recognize it. My interest isn't downing them as an organization or a group, though he's uh, illustrative of their teaching. But as we began talking and realized that he was a minister and an elite, and he was, it was some sort of spiritual trip, you know, with this group, and they were part of a church, and we got talking, and I asked about what he believed and those kinds of things, and just kind of, you know, swap and shop, as you would, with a colleague, if you will. And, and we got to the, the point of Jesus, and I said, well, what do you believe, you know, that, the, that, uh, that a person has to do to, to experience heaven and to be in a, you know, relationship with God? And I kind of, I tried to say it two or three ways and give him a big target wherever he wanted to go, and... And he said, well, have faith. And I was kind of thought, wow, that's a pretty good answer. Because I knew from the group from, like, there's a lot of rules here. Like, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do that, you got to do that. And if you're a good enough person to do all that stuff, then you're good. I was pretty impressed, to be honest with you, when he said faith. And then I asked the next question, well, what do you have to have faith in? And he said, well, what do you mean? Well, well 
like faith has to be in something. What do you put your faith in? What is your faith in? Well, I, I don't know what you mean. I don't think you have to have your faith in, in, in anything. What, what, um, and I'm kind of, I was a little like shocked and a little like, okay, I'm not asking this question well. And he finally just kept like blank. And I said, well, for me, he said, I don't believe you have to have it in anything. It's just faith. And I said, well, for me, my understanding is, is that we have to have our faith in Jesus Christ, that we're sinners before God and that we're condemned. But Jesus came and he died on the cross to pay our penalty for those sins. And he rose from the dead victorious. And that's what the resurrection's about. And my faith is in that. And here's what he said. He said, oh, I understand that theology. I studied that in the seminary. But I don't think you have to believe that. I just thought, whoa. All the people in his church, when he can stand up and mention the name Jesus and talk about faith, can, are totally fooled thinking that he's sharing the same stuff. And had I not asked that last question, I would have like high-fived him like, you're awesome. You know, you're great. And it was worse. That's the stuff that Peter's talking about. And he's leading hundreds and all of those teenagers thinking that they're hearing about Jesus and faith. That's absolutely ridiculous. That's, that, that's like you and I going to Stewart's ice cream and buying their ice cream that's on sale and getting home only to find out it's an empty container, that there's nothing on the inside. Faith and faith is absolutely useless. I mean... I could have faith. It would be like going to take a test. And, Sean, you haven't been to class all semester. I know. I'm going to take the final. Well, did you study? No. No. Did you watch the class? Did you read the book? No. Well, why do you expect to do well on the test? Well, I have faith. Faith and faith is dumb. It doesn't work. It's not real. It's bad. It's, I just, it's, it's not. Just because a person talks about Jesus, has a church, has religious motions and all uses all the words is not enough. So Peter's telling us, read the label. Get past past traditions and teachings. Get past fancy whatever stuff that we like to see and be moved by. And if you don't have a foundation of this, we got real problems. Look at what they say about the Bible. Look at what they say about Jesus. Third test, and i got to move along. I'll be here way too long today. Thank you for your patience online, everybody. Enjoy another cup of coffee. Nobody will know. So the third thing you got to, uh, we look at them. Peter also says we're going to notice them by their, their behaviors, by their lifestyle. And he says many will follow their sensuality. So not only do they not believe right about Jesus, deny Jesus, I mean, that's a slap in our Lord's face. Oh, it doesn't mean anything that Jesus died on the cross. You don't have to believe in that. That's exactly what, Je what Peter's talking about. He said, but look at their lifestyle. You'll also know about them by the way they live. Look at their life morally. Look at their life ethically. Look at how, you see, our faith should change our life. We talk about this all the time. Our Lord Jesus comes and the Holy Spirit invades our soul and he changes us. And it makes our attitudes and our behaviors more and more in alignment with Him. And you can see it. You can feel it. You can smell it. And Peter's like, yeah, these people, they will come into you and they will talk the lingo. They will do the religious stuff with you. They will be following a different master. They will be looking to profit off of you and your soul, trying to get something out of you, wanting more followers. And their lifestyle is nothing but sensuality. 
This word sensuality is the same word later on that's used when talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. Down in verse 7, when Lot, who is greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for the young years in the audience, we won't dive into those details, but I would reference you, go back to Genesis and read those accounts. This idea of sensual is more than just doing what feels good. It's, it's more than just enjoying this. There's some of those enjoyments that God has given and put inside of our hardest people. And as long as it's aimed in the right direction, I love to shoot my bow and arrow, and it's wonderful as long as my arrow goes in the right direction. But if I point it in the wrong direction, it's not a good thing, right? Those, those desires and passions are good when they're aimed in the right way. This is more than that. What Peter, this word is, is way more than what you can just kind of put in one little one word for word translation. This is talking about unbridled, unrestrained, uncontrollable, going against all norms, all accepted socially appropriate behavior. This is off the chain doing what you feel like doing in your life. This is a dog that you can't ever let off the leash because you know it will be in the next county in the next two minutes and you can never get it back. This is off the chain kind of stuff. That's what we see when we read the story about Sodom and Gomorrah. That's, the, the, that's what we're reading about in that world. And Peter says that will come to place. These individuals will lead you down a destructive path, not just belief, but even in lifestyle. So don't be fooled. How do you get lost one step at a time? How do you, you begin following an individual not expecting or those teachings and little by little, you slowly end up way over here. And folks, we live in an era where that is way more possible today than in Peter's day because of all of the opportunities and all of the inputs into our life 24-7. So if Peter told us to be careful then, you and I need to be even more careful today. Second thing I want you for us to notice, not only don't be fooled, but secondly, avoid their disaster. This is a cataclysmic kind of disaster. Peter says in verse 3, he says, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. In other words, even if they seem to be doing well and living large, don't be fooled. Their destruction's coming. The God of heaven is paying attention. And he gives us three examples right off the back. The very first big three examples as we read and go through the book of Genesis. When Adam and Eve are there, we already see in the Garden of Eden, Satan, the enemy of God, who is a beautiful, powerful angel that turned in pride to try to take God's place and who fell morally and became a demon. And we see him right off the bat tempting Adam and Eve. What the Bible, Peter is telling us, he's pulling the curtain back and saying there are many, many of those angels who are now fallen. And God punished them, and immediately many of them threw them into hell and to, committed them to chains of gloomy darkness. Kind of, the Bible refers to this pit in Revelation. It's probably what this is talking about, a holding place until these individuals, these angels be released. You see, the demons that are roaming around now are not the sum total of all demons. And God immediately punished them. So if God punished them, and if God turned around with Noah when the earth was very young, 
and said, this whole world is so messed up, everybody's idea of what should be right and should be done in government and politics and living their life is so off kilter that everybody is off their rocker morally and pursuing their own stuff. I've got no choice but to take a big eraser to the whole board, wipe out this whole world, and just save this one family and start all over again. God hit the Control-Alt-Delete button on the computer and said, we're doing a do-over. I'm doing version 2.0, and we're just ditching all of that. And if God did that, and then when we read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, that God noticed these two cities, these two regions, that had become so ungodly that God said, I've only got one family here, Lot. And it ended up being Lot and his two daughters, even his wife, wanted to stay in that mess. And he burned fire and brimstone, the Bible says, burning sulfur. You can go to the Middle East, I don't know, Google it. It's a cool YouTube video that you can see the burning sulfur. It's, it's like a rock on fire and it burns a, a bright blue flame and will last a long time. Rained and just brought them to ashes. And he said, Peter says, to extinction. To this day, nobody is for sure knows where Sodom and Gomorrah really is. Somewhere around the Dead Sea, most likely, north, south, somewhere in that, in that region. But vaporized, literally. If God did that, and we see three instances, should we not think that God is going to destroy and absolutely punish all sin with a vengeance and a judgment of every individual who thumbs their nose at Jesus, who leads others astray and walks in their own way? Absolutely. Peter is like, look at the history. We just read just the last chapter that all of Scripture is, is given and God gave it to us and inspired. The Holy Spirit moved these people along and Peter's basing our current thinking today on all of that. So these... These matters aren't just a matter of believing something that's wrong. They're believing things and living in such a way that has eternal consequences to our soul, our ultimate destiny of heaven or hell, our ultimate reality of whether or not we will live life with God or completely separated from God, and that God is going to bring judgment upon this world. The... Notice the depth of this disaster in verse 10. Peter kind of sums it up. That God is going to bring judgment, especially on those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. There's two sides to this. They despise authority. And they're people who love this this defiling passion. It's a passion of their heart a desire of their heart that pollutes their soul, that corrupts and defiles them. That's what we see in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what God looks at the world in disgust, and he judges all of that. You see, morally, what Peter's telling us is that much of what the world around us is pursuing is really corrupting their own lives. At at heart, it's bringing destruction. 
And you and I need to be careful to read the back of the label and avoid every bit of that and not to be fooled, not to be duped, not to be naive, not to be... You know how most lies work, right? Most lies are embedded in the middle of truth. If you're trying to poison somebody, you don't put out a plate and put a big sign in front of the person and say, poison, you know? You don't do that. I don't recommend you poison anybody, but if you were, you should hide it. You should put it in the middle of something that looks okay and looks good. That means you and I are unintentionally taking poison into our lives when we are not critically thinking and really evaluating what other people come on and we just take, oh, that makes sense. Oh, that sounds, oh, yeah, okay, that's good. You need to look past it because ultimately at the end of the day, you and I will bring complete destruction in our own soul when we walk down that road morally and behaviorally because you see the things that we believe ultimately impact what we feel and ultimately is what we feel is what we do. I'll give you an example. The sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Today, increasingly in churches, it's tough for us to, to call out sins. And, and it's called out in the name of love. Well, we're supposed to love everybody and be love and just affirm and accept where everybody is and what's going on. I don't think that's what God just said in this passage, folks. I don't think that's what God just told us. It's never loving to affirm people in their sin. It's never loving to affirm people when they are headed in complete judgment and destruction. If I see somebody driving 90 miles an hour into a brick wall and I have the opportunity to slow them down and stop it, it's never love to just say, well, okay, I'm going to love them and affirm and not tell them what they're doing is wrong or dangerous. It's never loving. And there are many in churches today that are being fooled that the words of our Lord Jesus are being turned opposite. This is the kind of stuff that I'm talking about here. And we're being duped subtly. Peter says, be careful. Be careful. Because there's destruction that comes as you continue down that road. Complete, utter destruction. So avoid their disaster. Avoid what they believe. Avoid what they do. Don't follow the pollution of their soul. And he's not just picking on one sin, and I'm not either. There's a broad range of targets in here. I'm just trying to illustrate out of this passage the areas and the reality of what he's talking about. Third thing. If we're, avoid, if we're avoid, to avoid dangerous deception, not only, do we, do we not, not only should we not be fooled, we should also avoid their disaster. But the third thing is we should have, have hope. I'm so glad Peter said this. He said, look, if God know in verse 7, if God rescued the righteous lot, who was distressed by all that wicked stuff that he was seeing and hearing all the time. He knows how to rescue the godly out of those trials and those seasons and those situations. If God knows how to preserve Noah in the middle of that judgment, that God knows how to preserve you and me. You and I can easily get discouraged 
if we put all our focus on the world around us, we'll get discouraged. I promise you, you'll fall into a, to a depression. If you make that your world, you will fall into a hopelessness, a helplessness, a darkness, a bleakness in your life. As a follower of Jesus Christ, and as we look at the world around us, we're going to be like Lot and Noah. And Noah's soul was vexed. So we should have hope. And this is two directions. I want to do these last two things and I'll be done. Two things that should give us hope. One, we should have hope that God is going to judge and stand for all righteousness of all sin. In other words, we should find hope that God is going to judge sinners. Sean, that's kind of dark. Like Christians, aren't we supposed to be love and unicorns and all that? Well, we are supposed to love. We're not supposed to practice vengeance. But look, when you and I have been victimized and been wronged, and when we see that garbage in the world around us, it should give us hope that says, you know what? My government can't solve any of this. No movement can solve any of this when the government fails. Man, my company can't solve this. I sure can't solve it. But you know what? God's going to. God's going to set all wrongs and deal with everything justly. There's a lot of hypocrisy in our world right now. There always has been. And there always will be. And the world around us sees all the sin problems and all the garbage. And we as Christians should have seen this all along, right? This should not be a surprise to us. The world doesn't know how to address it. They pick out one or two things and they ignore the 10 and 12 things. And after a while, that starts eating at me because I'm like, yeah, I agree with the one or two, but you're now condoning the 10 and 12 things that I see. Oh, my goodness. What in the world? You know what? I have a hope that God in heaven will be the fair and just judge, the holy God, and he will rightly convict and condemn all sin, and he knows how to deliver all the righteous. I don't relish that. I don't enjoy the, the, the affliction and want that or wish that on anybody. But what it does for me is it means is I don't have to be angry in the same way. I don't have I can avoid vengefulness. The things that have been done to me in the past personally, I can move beyond them because that individual God will deal with. And he will deal with in a just way. So I don't have to be vindictive and vengeful and walk around the rest of my life and hurt and, and as a victim. It changes everything. My hope is in God. And then hope comes to us a different way that as we look the world around us, not just that well, God will punish sin, but God knows how to rescue us out of that mess. And he knows how to, to save us and deliver us. You see, guys, we ought to live in that reality we ought not bury our head in the sand ignorant of everything that's going on around us. We ought to see the reality, but then we ought to be able to go back and retreat, have a retreat, not retreat morally or anything, but have our own walk with God that we can close that out and say, God, I'm with you. And to encourage our soul to bless us and, and to help us to, to feed us and to keep our mind and heart encouraged in our God in heaven, to focus us there. And that's where Peter ends this 
section. He says, guys, don't get too discouraged by all this mess. It's bleak. But if in the middle of living a life that you're going to deal with this the rest of your life, have a hope that God knows how to deliver you and put your focus there. If your hope has been in in the U.S., if your hope has been in a particular movement, particular identity, particular job or company, being a part of a certain family, if your hope's in anything other than Jesus, well, your hope is in something that's absolutely corrupted and going to go down. If we learned anything walking through Judges and Daniel is that the only kingdom will stand is God's kingdom and every other institution situation will spiral morally and will ultimately fail miserably. So our hope is in God, that he knows how to deliver us, no matter what the challenges may be in the future, that our hope is in him. So this morning, guys, I hope somehow that encourages you. Deal with deception. Be smart. Be wise. Think deeper about things. Read the fine print. Look at what people say about Jesus. Look about the lifestyle morally. When we see people throwing off moral, social customs, I want to be careful there because some social customs need to be thrown off. When you're dealing with a sinful, wicked world, a lot of the social customs are sinful and wicked. But when we see people throwing off biblical social customs, then the authority that they're vaunting themselves against is God's authority and the authority of the people around them. And they love sheer anarchy. And Peter says, be careful. God's judgment will come. And God knows how to save you out of that mess. So put your hope in the God of heaven. Pray with me, would you? Father, I pray this morning for us that we would be wise, we'd be careful, that we'd be people of love, but people who are aware not easily fooled. Father, give us insight into the habits and behaviors of those individuals that we listen to. Help us to be attuned to hypocrisy. Help us to be attuned to teaching and how it squares with your Bible. Help us to be in touch with what people really are believing for salvation. Lord, there are a lot of landmines in churches today a lot of landmines in the world today and belief systems. And God, we don't want to be the ignorant, foolish person who's unwise and who follows all of that junk. Lord, I think of so many Christians today that almost even make it a good thing to go out and sin because it shows that we're forgiven and free. And that's so backwards from what your scripture teaches us. God, may we be people who morally and ethically love you, live out our lives, holding to righteousness in the middle of a messed up world. God, I pray for that grace. I pray for our hope that would truly be centered in you, that you know how to deliver us. Lord, we know that we live in Rome and Babylon, Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't live in, in Eden and we don't live in heaven. We live in some wicked days, Father. And I pray for your grace. Help us to follow you. I pray this in, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. 
Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.